Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. You on the D Hour Network. This is Marsha Thatterson for your help. I want to wish everyone a happy new year and that we be prosperous this year. Today is January the 1st, um, no, January the 6th of 2019. Man, where did 2018 go? It went so fast. I have no clue. It's kind of like it just went, just flew by, and I'm pretty sure 2019 is going to do the same thing. I'm hoping everyone's having a great week um, and making a prosperous new year, making some plans to make some changes. I'm waiting for our guests to come on. I'm just going to text them. Um, tonight's show is going to be about preparedness. You know, with everything that's going on in the United States and other parts of the world, I really feel it's urgent for me to kind of share with you that we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for anything and everything, whether it be natural disaster, our health, just knowing how to be prepared. And so that's what our guest is going to be. Hopefully he's going to come in as Jane Stevenson. He'll be on hopefully tonight, and we'll be talking about the disaster preparedness handbook that he's written about how to be prepared for any natural disaster, what we can do to make sure we pass this knowledge on to our kids. So um, just want to thank you for being on our show with us tonight, and hopefully we'll be going on preparedness and what we need to do. You know, my goal with yesterday's kitchen for today and for your health is to have us educated, to have us alert, and be aware of what we can do. And not only that, it's not about just us having it for ourselves. It's having it for us to be able to educate and train the next generation, our children, um, on how to be prepared and to grow their own food, and we have different guests um, this year, just for the month of January alone. I have many great guests that's going to be coming on, um, educating us about growing our own food, farmers who are doing it, how to have healthy food using organic fresh fruits and vegetables, what to do with that long-term as well as short-term, and just passing that knowledge on to the next generation. So that's important to me, and this is what this show is all about, is bringing people with their skills, their expertise to educate us and to teach us. So um, we're going to come back with a break. On a, Once we come back, hopefully our guests will be on. I'm going to check and see what's going on. But welcome to our show, and we're going to give you some great knowledge.
you're on the D Hour Network. This is Marsha Patterson, and this is for your health. As I told you before, we went to the break. We have a great guest that's coming on with his expertise, and that's Mr. James Stevens. He has written a book on disaster preparedness handbook, uh, also making the best of the basics. And I truly feel in my spirit that it is a time for us, as with me being a mom and a grandma, and I, I think he may be a little bit older than me. I'm not sure um, his age. But, um, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> his age that we need to, as mom and dads and grandparents, is to teach our children the basic skills on survival, of how to make healthy moves, full healthy food, and just know what to do. So with no further ado, I'm asking James to come on board, and I know he's, on, he's he got his mic on now, but I'm excited for him being on. And not only that, James, I'm really grateful that you're taking the time out your Sunday from your family to come on to share with your expertise and your knowledge for what you have been doing for many years. So I truly, I don't take this for granted. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you being on with me tonight. Oh my goodness, such flowery words. I don't I hope I can arise <laughs> to this occasion. I am grateful. I'm truly grateful. But James, give my listening audience some information as to who you are and what started you on this journey on preparedness. I'm just a country boy trying to make it in the big time. Bottom line. <laughs> I'm a country boy from North Carolina. Uh literally okay. southern boy. Born, raised, uh, about our relative age. I have great grandchildren, <laughs> so, okay. so I am right. way. So yeah, like, I'm oh, 80 okay. years old. Yes, I'm old. Oh, so and I'm retired. Great. You sound great for 80 years old. Hey, I love it. You sound great. Well, there's a lot of experience behind what I've done. In fact, the whole book, uh, the book is called uh, Dr. Preppers, which is my stage name or radio name or or career name, uh, Dr. Prepper. And you can usually find that on uh, most anywhere uh, because it was a trademark name. I kind of began the uh, in this industry in 1974. And uh, so people will say, well, you know, I've been a prepper my whole life. And even so, most of them weren't born in 1974. But it's hard to be a prepper your whole life. You can be a result of prepping for your whole life. But as far as a, as far as a practice, it takes a little longer. You, you know, you, you make – and there are a lot of country people who grew up that way, and they, don't, they just don't know it, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Uh, being prepared is um, – a way of life. It's it, and so prepping or preparedness is just a, an alternate lifestyle, as it were, other than one that would have any, any innuendo of sex or whatever. It is strictly a way of living your life, of being prepared for everything you can. Now there are a couple of codicils, and I'll throw in these little things to kind of give you uh, from my experience and and my book, uh, which was the number one all-time bestseller ever in the genre. Uh, Making the Best of Basics sold over 800,000 copies. Wow. What's really interesting is nobody really cared. Nobody would publish it. So I said, I'll publish it myself. And uh, it turned out to be a good move. It sustained my family for 40-some years. Uh, it's out of, It's not out of print. It's available on Amazon.com. 
And if you shop there carefully, you can find them used or otherwise uh, for as little as a dollar ninety-eight, or as much as uh, thirty-seven fifty. And some of the archive versions, it's been it's thirteen editions. So the original editions are fairly valuable. Um, I've seen them sell for five thousand dollars. I thought, <laughs> wow, I wish I'd sold that. Wow. <laughs> when I sold them, they were a buck ninety-eight. <laughs> so anyway, back wow. in the day. But it, it's been it's been printed for over forty years, and it is the it was the standard of the industry because it's basic, no religion, no politics, uh, just uh, experiences uh, of organizing your life. Lots of charts and tables. Nobody's ever replicated those because at one, most of the people who are in the business are me too, knockoff, uh, uh, fast buck artist or whatever else, and they've copied the people who've created, uh, uh, you know, there were only about 15 of us that back in the mid seventies who were doing this. And I knew them all. Some are gone. Some, uh, many of them retired before I did. Uh, the industry waxes and wanes uh, based on life, based on the tough times, uh, threats of war, Y2K, uh, the crisis, the financial crisis in the late 80s, those kinds of things create a demand for information about how to get by on a little less money and a lot more intelligence. And so the book has, uh, the book has also kind of gone with that. But uh, so people are looking for it. It's called Making the Best of Basics. The nickname is Family, or the subtitle is Family Preparedness Handbook. And uh, Preparedness is a choice. It's a lifestyle uh, of choice, choosing to do things simply. Literally, if you if somebody threw the breaker uh, on uh, you know in your home and cut off your water and uh, your toilet wouldn't flush anymore, what would you do? And that's really the premise from which the the book is written. Here's what you can't you know before we had anything other than privies in the backyard and. Wells yeah. and uh, ice boxes. <laughs> some some of your listeners will remember those. Uh, I actually, yes, I actually remember we had to open the back screen door uh, to the porch where we hung the chickens to, till the feathers fell out, and then we'd strip the skin off, and that's how we see. That's how we aged chicken and hams and other parts of animals hanging, you know, on from the ceiling on our back porch. And uh, I remember when my dad built the indoor plumbing to the house we lived in. So I go really way back on some of these things. And and I remember how we did those, th- how we lived, how we smoked meat and how we dried vegetables and things like that. While we were drying our tobacco, uh, uh, we would also be uh, curing our hams and, uh, you know, hanging, uh, dehydrating our beef and making jerky and, and, and all that, you know, and, and drying and, and we didn't have freeze drying in those days, but we did have the opportunity to do a lot of things that uh, people can't do today. So I kind of recall those things, put them into some a sequence. I thought it was logical. Most people say, wow, that's a whole lot of stuff. But it takes a lot of knowledge to, to without going to the A&P or Winn-Dixie or whatever is popular, whatever Kroger, whatever the chain is down in your area that uh, is the leading competitor. 
and uh, in, in the food industry. And people live from hand to mouth. Uh, we used to live paycheck. Actually, if you go back in history, uh, the the harvest was whenever you could get seeds in the ground, and they would come up, and you'd cultivate them, and you pick them, and then you would eat them. And that was your that was your life cycle. You lived, and you put things away when they were when they came in off the vine, off the bush. Out of the ground, right. you'd, you'd store them right. as long as you could through, through some method, uh, and there are 25, 30 methods of, of food preservation, and we probably won't go into all that detail, but understand there are many, many ways to preserve food uh, other than uh, in canned goods or bottled goods or however else you can think of them. But uh, then we got to where uh, we became more civilized. And we began having canned goods, and that way you could go to the grocery on, when you got your monthly paycheck and stock up, and then you'd, you'd, you'd uh, supplement it if you could from what you could grow in your victory garden or whatever the kind of garden you had. I grew up with a garden outside that, uh, outside that screen porch. You open the door, you step out three steps, and you're in the garden. And uh, grew up that way. And mother would say, "Go get me a mess of this, or go get me a pad of that, or go buy me, you know, pick me a uh, a pepper uh, for the soup, or whatever it was. It was just right there. Uh, we didn't go down to the grocery store because we lived seven miles out of town. And that's when seven miles was a long way to walk. And so we yeah. didn't we didn't have those we didn't have the conveniences people have today. However, even with today's conveniences, you can be prepared for the future by planning for right. it. Uh, and it's an uncertain future. So uh, you plan for uncertainty it takes a lot more work than just planning till next Friday when you can go shopping with your paycheck. Now, uh, continuing with the idea that we used to have an annual uh, harvest. And then we got to where we could harvest once a week. And uh, today we harvest momentarily. Uh, you want some, you just stop. There's fast, there's fast food everywhere, stores everywhere, corner stores. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, mini marts. All those kinds. Of, everything, everything's everywhere, day or night, 24/7. You can go shopping. You don't even have to have money. You can take a piece of plastic of all things and shove it into a little receptacle, and dang, you got you you can get you can trade that for anything in the place. And so it's it's a totally it's a totally different. That sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's the reality yeah. is we've come that far, and, and it's like nobody buys gas till they're out of it. I when I see a half, when my needle gets to a half, at least by then I go fill up. I, I mean, I just yeah. it's just it's just culture for me. And and what I want <laughs> what I try to do is get people to to yeah it become acculturated to the fact that. You could be inconvenienced seriously if some of the things that are going. I mean, there's a government shutdown going on now. Now, maybe you and I aren't bothered by it particularly, except the rhetoric. That's kind of wears you out. But um, basically, there are a lot of people who are in tough times right now because they live paycheck to paycheck, right. uh, and and because their debit card, but their debit amount is their bank account is low, they can't use their debit card. So you know, some things are really things have changed. So the things that people worry about today. No consideration when I was growing up, and so I've had to learn all the modern stuff, the digital world, and it it it's confusing. I mean, I have as much trouble with the digital world as people do in 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 preparing for a picnic on a Saturday afternoon because it know, takes a lot of work. 
I want to say something to what you were saying, James, about the way you grew up, how your mom sent you out to the uh, backyard to get what you want. My husband's family was from Brookhaven, Mississippi. They didn't have to go to the store. So what I see, too, back then, people weren't financially tied to these stores and giving up their money because they had the resources of growing their own food. They had their meat. And they weren't in debt to the electric company, the gas company, the water company, because, as you said, they had their own wells. People were, like, most of the time had lanterns or uh, heating their home or warming their house another way. And so I truly believe, you know, now you're so indebted to the gas company, electric company, the white company, the, uh, uh, the water company, and then groceries, too, So and a mortgage. So it's like we, we, we've gotten caught up on this race of survival, and we don't even know what real survival is, and that is where our grandparents and our great-grandparents and the way you grew up with is being economically set free from that system. My dad paid for our home. He built it himself. He was, we were in the, he was in the construction business, but he was a fledgling company right after the war. Uh, that's the second WW2, <laughs> so there's no mistake. But he built our home and paid for it in four years because in his day and in your parents' day, it was critical that – well, first of all, you couldn't go borrow thirty, uh, you know, $300,000 yes. for 30 years uh, at 4%. You couldn't do that. It, it, nobody – Credit wasn't that uh, viable in those days. The, the credit industry, right. the banking industry, was, was set up for different things. I remember my grandfather would go uh, would go uh, borrow money to buy seed, and then when the crop came in, he'd go pay back the seed. But he he labored right. nine months out of the year to pay back that debt, and for ninety days he was debt free. <laughs> well, it, what we tried to do now, I I decided that. Uh, Many years ago, as I made, as I saved my money and reserved and uh, and prepared for our, our our move to our place of preparedness, our place of peace, if you will, uh, which is several mm-hmm. acres up on a hill overlooking and, and outside. Of it. We're in a small town. I can see the police department. I can see the fire department. Uh, and there are 400 people in my town. It's like a small southern town wow. here in Texas, and, and it's wonderful because. Uh, you know, I'm sandwiched in between a guy with 160 acres and a guy with 110 acres, and I have just a little postage stamp in it. But they're all they're around me with their cattle and everything else, and and the deer roam across our property. They, they have paths up and down. They'll cross, and they have regular routes. Uh, wild pigs uh, snort all over our at night. We don't go out at night <laughs> after when it gets real late because they're out, uh, uh, you know, uh, hunting. And as we call it, snarfing. <laughs> you know what that sounds like yeah. when you hear it. You don't go outdoors because they're bigger than we are. But so the whole point is, I live in a. I kind of gone back to my roots, as it were, in order to have the peace and calm that I want in my retirement. And uh, it's been. Uh, it's nice for us. We live in a home that's built in 1930, and uh, wow. we enjoy it. It's kind of like the house. It has a tin roof, stone walls around it. I mean, it's not walls, but stone uh, stone facade. Uh, uh, yeah. And 
We don't have a wall around our place. We're thinking about it, but we don't have a wall around it. And we have about seven acres, and we enjoy it. You know, we live on a hill. We can see. We can see the sun come up. We can see the sun go down. And uh, we have peace and quiet, and that's really what life is about. I know that if they if they shut off the road, shut down the – if everything shut down, they literally slip the switch, as it were, uh, we're good for – we have our own well. We have our own cistern. I have a hand pump. I have a diesel engine. I have everything I tell people they ought to have. Um, I don't tell you my address. <laughs> I don't okay. want you here. <laughs> but the whole point of it is that I do, I practice what I preach. And so I could live for mm-hmm. a year up here. Um, water would be the most, but I have a pump. I can bring it, well's only 90 feet in the ground. And so I can bring that water up with a few pumps. And put it into the cistern, and it'll flow downhill. Yeah, the shower doesn't have 60 pounds of pressure, but you know what? I can take a shower without any pressure right. at all because right. it's downhill, and uh, that's the way you know we we were able to improve some things, and that's one of the things we did after we moved in. But it, you know, you do you invest in what you feels important to you, and to me, it was important to be true to what I was preaching, and uh, I just had to it. I wasn't able to do it all at once, and that's what I want to tell people is nobody has – I, I, I live these little uh, truisms that I call my rules of three. Uh, one of them is uh, you know, nobody has it all, nobody ever has, and nobody ever will. And right. if you can remember that, it, it should relax you a bit because nobody's going nobody's gonna to have it all. And if you had it all, what would you do with it? And that's why I don't understand why they want to really decrease the pop, you know, blow the people off the earth, uh, deplete our population. Because in order to have increasing economy, you have to have increasing customers. People have to want right. something and be willing to part with their shekels in order to get what they want. When they do that, you've got a society that will grow. And, and mm-hmm. so I, I kind of say, why? Why do we want? Why would anybody? Whatever party they're in, want to decrease the population. What we just need to do is accommodate it better, and, and be kinder, kindlier, and gentlier, <laughs> kind, kinder and gentler with with uh, in our society. And I think we could probably achieve that. But then, again, I try to stay out of, and that's general politics, not specific. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I, I, some days I want a wall around my place. Uh, but on the other hand, I also want the freedom of discussion and the freedom of getting – I don't want barriers between me and my friends, whether they speak my language or not. That matters not right. uh, to me. Right. Uh, so having traveled extensively uh, in, in Europe, I can see you – know, I understand chauvinism. I understand the fact that people want – they want their country to be preeminent. I love that. Um, I think we ought to take care of us because we don't take care of us. How can we who are here, how can us take care of our own? And so that's kind of uh, um, not one party or the other. I have some philosophies I think are important, and I don't see anybody keeping up with them right now. So anyway, the little rules of three will help people understand uh, there are only three things for which we need to be prepared, by the way, if you want to go to the rule of three. Uh, they are natural disasters over which we have virtually no control. We can control ourselves, but not the disaster itself, not the causative factor. Secondly are the um, – isn't that funny? 
man-caused disasters, I guess we'll call them. War is one of those. Um, you know, bad uh, bad politics is another. Bad medicine is another. Those are man-caused yes. kinds of things. Yes. So to speak. Yes. Uh, but there's one that most people don't really think about because they hear so much, so many blurbs on the other. But one of the most, uh, the one that's most particular, and the bottom of the trickle down. Is and that, by the way, just so you understand, trick of natural disasters cause problems with delivery of services. They cause uh, upset in um, uh, resources of all kinds, and so oftentimes a natural disaster will cause uh, blows down trees, wipes out wires, uh, does a lot of stuff, and that creates, and of course, the man-caused disasters because if we build it. They'll come, and when they come, they'll destroy it. <laughs> so the whole point of it is that uh, we trickle down from natural disasters to man-caused disasters. But the ones that are most important to each of us are the personal disasters. We're talking about yeah. uh, disability, um, divorce, <laughs> all kinds, mm-hmm. uh, and death, the three Ds. Yeah. That mm-hmm. certainly disintermediates our, our, our uh, personal comfort and becomes a personal disaster. So there are three kinds of disasters. And some of them, uh, most of them we have no control over. Uh, we, have, we can control how they affect us by our preparedness level and the, the, how well we do it. And people say, well, if you, know, if you live, in, uh, live in Mississippi down by the ocean, you could have gotten wiped out. Yeah, you could have. But it was your choice to be there and your choice to stay there and your choice to go back there. Those are things that right. we have to learn to deal with, and, and people kind of blame somebody else all the time for the, their problems. I find that somewhat uh, disingenuous, to use a current term. So a disaster being a calamitous event outside of our control, um, the natural disaster suddenly and they cause a great deal of damage to property and to life. Um, But it's life-threatening, and we aren't able to do anything about it except rise to the level of hardship uh, with with, uh, that is causing us by the preparations that we made. And so if uh, a crisis is kind of defined as a turning point or a change of some kind that's dynamic in your life, and that a crisis is also the point. So the number two side, remember three rules. First is it's a turning point. Second is it becomes a, a point at which opposites are opposed to each other, uh, good and bad, uh, light and heavy, strong and weak. Uh, all those kinds of things come into play. And then it also thirdly becomes a condition of what you'd call extreme instability, whether it's national, local, or personal. So, see, I deal with things philosophically so that people can determine what they want to do about it. If they understand the problems, solutions become a lot easier. And I try not to make it, I try not to talk in pounds, how many pounds of meat or pounds of potatoes you have to have. You can determine that by the size of your family. I can't tell you three pounds. I can tell you three pounds of this per week per adult and then give you the factors for determining if you have adult and children and grandchildren and and older folks, what their what their piece of that would be, what the percentage would be for them. Uh, I can do all that. That's mathematics. That's easy. But converting someone and 
converting, I, I use that word advisedly, you have to convert people to do this so that they are converted to action. And, you know, James, I'm so glad you would talk about I want to talk a little again about natural disaster. I was born in New Orleans, uh, raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, when Katrina hit, I was so glued to the television and watching that disaster unfold before our eyes. And it was just really blowing me away. And right after Katrina, I think they had another storm that hit. And I have family down there. And I remember calling a couple of my cousins to say, okay, are you guys all right? And she was complaining that um, her electricity went out and everything in her freezer uh, spoiled. And I said to her, why did everything in your freezer spoil? She said, we didn't have no electricity. I said, I don't understand. Why didn't you have backup electricity? She said, well, I don't understand. I said, wait a minute. You've been living there all these years. You didn't have a generator? You're waiting for the government to bring you some ice? It just, I'm like, okay, and it's the mindset of training us to be prepared. Now, if I'm living in that state, I'm going to have a generator or I'm going to have something to be ready for this. Because coming from Wisconsin, you have a, a jack in your car, you have a spare tire, you, you know, you have ice and you have a shovel because you may have to dig yourself out or you may carry, you carry things in your car an event that you have a flat tire or an event that you're stuck in the snow somewhere or you need to throw out the salt. I, too, feel my gas when it gets half a tank when we're traveling with my daughter. And she says, well, we can go as a note. Is that a half a tank? We don't know what's going to be ahead. Let's stop and get more gas. And I guess my mindset for the next generation is that with everything's so convenient and available to them, we don't think beyond the fact that, Maybe that won't be a gas station or it won't be something there to help us, so we need to prepare. So with natural disaster, because in my lifetime, we've had so many natural disasters throughout the world. You know, look in Peru, 1970, over 66,000 people died. China, when they had an earthquake and a tsunami, what, 242 people dead. You know, in Haiti, just in January 2010, that's 230,000. They still still have no electricity and water and some of the other stuff. So my thing, and the reason why I'm asking you to be on board, I'm going to stop talking, is that we just act like we're immune from this. The United States can never, ever, ever have a disaster where we're still sitting without electricity and water. I call that a preparedness deficit disorder. I have a name for that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> All right, let me <laughs> sorry. You have to have a sense of humor if you're gonna be in this business because so many people are naysayers. Let me let me respond to that because you know, you bring up and I'm glad you take that because it gives me a chance to think. I when I when I stand up my brain sits down and when I start talking my brain shuts down. So the whole point is listening to other people ask questions makes it a lot easier. The preparedness I indicated uh, in my opinion and everything I say is my opinion and uh, you know and we certainly can have discourse about that whether we believe me that's that's a whole different issue but my study of this for the past years and I believe I'm the oldest one left in the industry uh, that is alive 
I see the preparedness of lifestyle, and I define it as the kind of life which is full of personal joy and love and and power. Power. We'll talk about power in a minute. To that we can have power to live our life without fear of the future. That we know that whatever happens, we can deal with it. We may not be the most successful. We don't have to be Rockefeller. You know, actually, they have a harder time living with down times than we do, because some of the it's harder to get uh, uh, fish eggs when it's uh, you know in bad times than it is during good times. So uh, you know, for those of the, those of us who live simply, tough times are really it helps us make some of those simple decisions and, and living simply decisions, and actually we come closer to what preparedness is all about and really preparedness is about spirituality if you don't believe it's necessary if you don't have a depth of understanding uh, about spirituality then being prepared for the future has no meaning in fact the purpose of this life is to prepare in my opinion for the next life that we have a little short time here to prove that you know to prove that we're going back somewhere and people say well you just die and you go in a hole what the hell would be the reason for living on living if you're just going to die and go in a hole? I mean, that doesn't even yeah. make sense to me. So um, I, I, I say that emphatically for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, so the kind I think that preparedness lifestyle is the kind of life that uh, has um, comes from a succession of six factors. I couldn't get it down to two, but it's around the fact you hear all the time. You hear this statement: preparedness is knowledge. And knowledge is power. And I think, really? <laughs> I don't think knowledge and power have, you know, a lot of smart people who who don't have any power. Or common sense. You know, sense. a lot of smart people. Yeah, well, well or common sense. But that's, a whole other, that's a different issue. That's <laughs> intelligence. We, we'll get there in a minute. So the whole point is knowledge is the application, the, let's call it for lack of a better word, righteous, just kind, benevolent, use any word you want, but it's the application of knowledge that gives us power. Uh, college professors have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have a lot of power. They can pass you or fail you, but in, in the real world, they have very little influence once you get out of their class, right? I mean, and you've heard you've heard some of them in the news lately as they explicate their points of view. <laughs> we just yeah. leave it there. But so so basically then, the the bottom of the chain, the base on which we build our knowledge, on which we will ultimately build some power, is the fact that we have information. That's the data database, information stuff, you know, uh, data facts. Uh, a phone book is information. If you don't know the alphabet. You don't have any knowledge. You can't really access it very well if you don't have some knowledge. So the information, it's like database. It's really great in the computer, but if you can't analyze it, it doesn't mean anything. It has no power to help you make decisions. So information is accumulated from facts and data and stuff, I call it. And also then we add to that our experiences because experience gives you information. If you don't learn anything from it, it stays information. But if you learn from it, then it becomes knowledge. And knowledge is assimilated from our personal efforts to learn and to study, to assess the information that we have and put one and one together to make two. 
etc. And then we apply and practice that un until we have amassed enough information to make it relative to what we want to accomplish. Does that make sense? It makes and a lot so of those sense. So information and the collective experiences give us uh, uh, knowledge, and we use that knowledge to make decisions. We make good decisions, we're called wise, and we now have wisdom, and we can gain that wisdom by learning from improved assessments, analyses, and also from those collective experiences. So we get wise if we use knowledge to increase our decision-making. So th after that comes intelligence. Oh, now we're wise, but we move to intelligence. Intelligence uh, helps our decision-making become more clearly defined, and imp uh, it improves our lives by utilizing the pre uh, information back to us again from previous decisions and managing higher levels of intensity in application. Sounds crazy, but you can't be intelligent no. until you're wise. Okay, so uh, uh, then, then on top of that, in the Old Testament, it tells us with all your wisdom, with all you mm -hmm. know, get un get mm -hmm. understanding. Exactly. Understanding. Yeah. Now, when you understand mm -hmm. why you're doing things or why you ought to do things or why other people do things to you, then you become capable of implementing correct principles and recognize when they aren't. And it becomes a positive, judicious way of making decisions, practicing your wisdom, utilizing your intelligence. And uh, it helps us see the detail in the universe, helps us mm -hmm. put it together. So once yeah. you understand power will emanate from all that you're able to do and it'll allow you to assess how you can gain the ability to control situations. Uh, so knowledge alone is not power. The proper application of knowledge gives you power, mm. but it's a long process. Yeah. It's a long process. And I tell people, I can spend half my lecture time on that with people so that they they get the paradigm shift because this now I'm getting to where I want to answer your question you know we can make we can we have the power to choose we have the power, freedom of choice in America we can choose to do anything we want good bad or indifferent but we can't escape the consequences of those yeah. of those choices and when people realize that and if they'll get that clearly in their mind they realize if you're not prepared, you're going to be victimized by any number of things over which you have no control. The less you know, the less control you have. So that's why I try to tell people that preparedness is a lifestyle. What kind of life do you want to have? Do you want to have a joyful life, a happy life? You want to have power in your yeah. life? Or do you want to be, or you want to be uh, like the mushrooms? <laughs> you have a choice. So, by the way, preparedness is a symmetrical. What? Yeah, it's asymmetrical. It it doesn't come in even spurts. It doesn't come in even flow. It doesn't come. It just comes. And being asymmetrical means that by its very nature, it's a disorder. So mm -hmm. preparedness overcomes disorder, the disarray in our lives. Yeah. And so yeah. if, uh, you know, I, I always laugh when people say, you know, God is... Uh, God is in good. 
it's interesting that evil is in the devil. Isn't that interesting? Yes. <laughs> so when I tell people, you know, the temptation is not to be prepared. The temptation is to spend your money on some more pleasurable, immediately pleasurable things. But the whole point of it is that when you have children, when you take on the responsibility of children, a spouse, children, uh, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and a, a whole plethora of generations after you, to set that example, you need a lifestyle that they can point to and see that you did the best you could with the life and the time that you had with that life. So if there's a preparedness deficit disorder, you, the only way you can overcome it is with <laughs> diligence and with effort. <laughs> so, anyway. so what are the three, uh, there are three factors in, but I call them the A factors of preparedness. One is you have to give yourself the authority to begin prepping and to make it a lifestyle. You have to give yourself mm -hmm. the authority, the power that you have to make that decision. Secondly is you have to take action, take responsibility to set your house in order so that you can prepare. Thirdly, right. you have to have accountability. You know, you have to be able to, you have to account for being able to complete your preparedness and to the best of your ability and application. And if you do, and your means, if you do that, then, you know, you will have created what I call a paradigm shift. So here are the, here, here are the things that will help you it, preparedness will help you in a paradigm if you shift your paradigm. But here are the steps you take. One is you have to become determined to bloom where you're planted. Now, you left New Orleans for whatever reason, went to Wisconsin. For whatever reason, doesn't matter. I think you did it upside down. You should have done it the other way around. You should have been in Wisconsin, <laughs> moved to New Orleans. I know. I'm just. I understand that. That's what I'm saying. But but yes. but now you realize that your later life. So I kind of uh, could have done that better. <laughs> but you were not in, you were not in charge of it. I understand. Yeah. Well, I love New Orleans. We traveled uh, the ten eastward. We we go up ten, and we just used to love to go through. After the hurricane, when we go across Lake Pontchartrain and through the city, mm -hmm. uh, it was like war zone. It was absolutely yes. like a war zone. And yeah. it's so sad yeah. because I love New Orleans. I've been there for shows. I've been there on vacation, honeymoon, whatever you want to call it. It's it's only eight hours from here. Um, right. Drive straight straight west on ten, right? And my mother-in-law lived in Houston, so it was a pleasant trip. You know, no problem. Uh, but you know, those days are gone because I, yeah, it's still a great place, still a great town, and they have revived part of it. But there's a lot of blight. Uh, and it's a shame, and I'm sure that, and I haven't been down ten since uh, the hurricane that battered the southern shores there. I can't remember them all anymore. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I probably would not enjoy that drive again either, because it was so beautiful. You just say, I'd just love to live here. I probably wouldn't say that right now if, if I drove through that. Right. So if you right. you determine where your plant to bloom, where you're planted, you're going to grow, set in roots, and become. And you know, a person can make that choice anytime they want. I didn't say it'd be easy, but they can make that choice. And they have the freedom to do so if they can arrange uh, their life to meet it. Um, so, so, for example, in uh, uh, I've chosen South Texas because, golly, we had snow. We actually had snow last year. 
It had been yes. 18 years since we'd had snow. I can live with that. <laughs> I spent a year in Thule, Greenland in the military. I've seen all the snow I want to see. <laughs> it was okay. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a whole other world. So what you do is you get the gear and you lose the fear and you become, you, you can bloom where you're planted. Secondly, you want to turn your home into a personal convenience store. Now, that's a whole different attitude and uh, than most people see in terms of being prepared. They think about food storage, and they think about water, and they think about canned meat, and they think about all the things it takes. But that's just incidental. You know, what you want is a selective grocery store within the confines of your property, wherever you want, that's uh, appropriate for whatever you have, but stocked with all those things you like to eat and enjoy because, uh, to me, Privation should be a picnic. We always had the attitude with our three-day kit when we were traveling. At home, it's all here. If if it if it blows away, then we start over. We know how to do it now. We've done it right. We made some mistakes, mm-hmm. and we won't make those again, hopefully. But the whole purpose is that you want a you want a pantry, as it were, in the old term, that has everything uh, that you want, and you have unique access to it so that you can utilize it when you want, where you want, how you want, share it with whom you want, protect it from whom you must. So that's the second step. The third is you want to be able to camp out within the walls of your home. Worst case scenario, you can you can close the gate and you're you're going to be comfy, you're going to be able to deal with whatever weather, whatever conditions, whatever uh for as long as necessary. And, and within the confines of your home, so now now we have a different. You, you put your you have your home where you want it. It is a uh, personal convenience store, a bank of food, as it were, and it's a place that uh, that you can stay in without having to leave. Uh, while everybody else is trying to figure out what to do, you've done it. Now. Does that mean that when, if I have to, if, if things are bad, I'm not going to stand the bread lines with other people wearing my uh, raggedest clothes? I'm going to uh, demand that I be taken care of, like because I don't want everybody to know that I'm ra- I can, but I'm going to not be any different from my community because that would make me stand out like a sore thumb. That's the last thing I want to do, and uh, I used to tell people. They said, "Well, do you have your supply?" Yes. What's your address? <laughs> well, you know, there's some rules. If you come to my place to eat, you're going to have to work for it like I did. And uh, right. oh, oh no, we just expect you to be charitable. Well, charity has a learning phase to it. Charity is more than just somebody giving to you. You got to sh- you got to give back. And one thing you give back, somebody got to dig that ditch. Somebody got to man that wall. Somebody's got to stay awake at night, making sure nobody comes and steals our stuff. So you know, those they said, oh. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I said, well, I don't know what Bible you read out of, but my Bible says that we're all responsible for ourselves, and that doesn't mean I'm responsible for you except in the way that I can help you. So I'm trying to do it. So uh, then the fourth thing uh, I would that you would want to do is help improve your community's preparedness. Now, that community could be family. Uh, if you live alone, you are your community, but you can expand that right. community according to your means and your ability. So basically, then, uh, if we can help the community in some way, that's uh, that's the other part of the paradigm shift. In order to accomplish that, you will need to work on getting out of debt. 
and uh, that's really important. There's some things you don't have to worry about. There's some things I wouldn't worry about paying off. Um, at my age, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not worried about paying off mortgage. Uh, we took care of that. Uh, we pay cash for cars, or trains, planes, boats, whatever we have, lawnmowers, <laughs> all that stuff. You know, we don't know. We have we have bills. We live on we have live on propane. So you know, they just delivered a bunch of propane. That was expensive, but it's a once twice a year thing. Uh, we uh, have uh, we just try to make it within the budget that we have, and we have a very meager budget because we wasted it all trying to help other people. Well, I didn't waste it. We spent it. We invested it. Some of it was not good. Some of it was. It taught us self-discipline if we didn't learn anything else. Uh, now we're mm-hmm. much more self-disciplined than we used to be. I can tell you that. So uh, we you want in order to be well prepared. You have to define what your comfort level is. How little comfort can you live with uh, in a worst-case scenario? So preparedness is setting a comfort level level that you can maintain during the worst of times. Does that make sense? It Pretty makes simple sense. And you, know, and you talk about being comfort in your own home. You know, and my thing is educate the next generation to have, a, you know, I was at a Mother Earth conference in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, and I wanted to talk to the gentleman that was selling wood-burning stoves. James, I couldn't even get near this guy. It was so many people purchasing wood-burning stoves, and they're coming back in popularity. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? But see, if you're stuck up in Wisconsin, a northern region, and it's wintertime, and your electricity goes out or your gas goes out, you can still have heat. You know, solar-powered generators, educating people on what to do. And you talked about stocking up the pantry, you know, purchasing free uh, beef jerky, you know, uh, canned meat or tuna, you know, soup in the mix, uh, just something that's very simple that they can warm up on their barbecue grill or uh, in the fireplace because some of the young people, oh, I don't want a wood-burning fireplace. I want a gas-burning fireplace. Well, what if the gas go out and you have no gas? And people are actually freezing in their homes when they're, you know, because they're in a storm area and they're trying to evacuate people because we don't have that knowledge or that common sense to say, I need to have these things in my home in case this happens. Well, many states don't allow wood-burning stoves anymore. In Texas, they're, they're uh, against the law oh, really? because of pollution. Oh, yeah, many, many states, uh, more states than not, forbid uh, the use of uh, any, the sale of wood-burning stoves. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. and, and where do you get the wood? You know, if you go down to the Seven Eleven or its equivalent, uh, Quick Mart, uh, whatever you call them, uh, mm-hmm. Circle K, mm-hmm. It's ten dollars for uh, six pounds of wood. Six pounds. Uh, you know that's more than gas. <laughs> gas weighs eight pounds a gallon. <laughs> wow. So wow. And you get a gallon for two. here. Oh, by the way, gas here in San Antonio today is one eighty-one. Wow. That's yeah. Cheap. So see, it, well, yeah, I guess it's the cheapest in the nation, and yet we don't process gas here. It's really interesting. 
uh, I live about uh, four miles from Valero's home office, so you know we we we're lucky. But it didn't come from there; it comes from the refineries down in South Texas or in Houston or someplace like that. But it's just interesting that we're a major met- metropolitan center, slightly smaller than Atlanta. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> we're number seven. Now, I forgot where Atlanta is. One thing I do: I hate being cold. I am my. I don't even know why I was in Wisconsin. How I stayed in Wisconsin so long, but I hate being cold. And my thing mm-hmm. is, if you have no heat, what do you suggest for people if they're not allowing wood burning stoves in your community? You have no electric, and you got children. You have how do one stay warm in their home during disasters or a situation where they have no heat? Tough uh, blankets. <laughs> I mean, it's really about the only solution um, to that, uh, and without a power of any kind. That's why we have uh, we have propane by choice. Uh, I put a big mm-hmm. tank. It had butane. Well, you can't afford butane anymore. Butane's for lighters, and you can't afford what you'd pay for butane. It got totally out of sight. It's safer, but it's been replaced. Uh, every, so we had to replace our tanks. There, butane's in the ground. Propane's above ground. But we have a huge right. tank, and when they come to fill it, it's painful. This huge truck comes rumbling up our driveway, up the hill, and we can hear it coming a mile away. It's so big. But that's how we get it. And uh, it was a choice we made to be able to have control. The same reason we kept our well. We don't want to cap our well. If we take the city water, which is down in the street, It'll cost more to put a. Uh, it co- would have cost more to connect our driveway, 760 feet long, uh, and curves up the hill, and it's. Uh, it would cost more to put in a pipeline uh, or a water line to our meter, which was already paid for. But we don't. Uh, it would cost more than building a cistern. So we built the cistern because it's permanent. We can fill it with water, and it has. You know, we pump water into it, and uh, it. Uh, it runs for a couple of hours every three, four days, and it fills it up. We use a lot of water because we have uh, hydroponics, aquaponics, uh, gardening, and you know, and we have two homes on the property. One of them is a rental home, which helps pay for our helps finance our retirement. So we we tried to do everything by the book, you know, that was reasonable in order to be able to live on after our income stopped. Yeah, sure right, it does. Right. So, uh, but we found out that just thinking about pre- being prepared doesn't make us any more prepared than talking makes us a public speaker. <laughs> so we just have to realize that um, the experience is a really wonderful thing and helps us see the mistakes that we made before, when we make it again. Oh, I made that mistake before. <laughs> That's what we right, experience right, is. Right. Oh, I've done that before. I don't didn't want to do that again. Um, but we learned that uh, want, blessed are those who can laugh at themselves. <laughs> so. We got to laugh at ourselves because we've made so many mistakes. But okay, now That's one right. thing I want to say is, is encouraging people to look at solar power generators um, because I think you know more and more people are putting those on their homes, uh, on their garages mm. to be able to fuel their homes in case. Uh, there's no electricity or things like that. What are you, are you encouraging with that part of the preparedness group? Well, it's a very expensive option. Uh, I would, I would, I would prepare. I would, I would be more prepared to eat well than I would be to be warm. Because you can fix your your most of your meals 
if you can boil a little bit of water, you can have a whole lot of food. Mm-hmm. But having yep. solar is expensive. Solar is it's a lifetime investment. I mean, usually those uh, those have payouts of what ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, twenty years, depending on um, the, the part of the country you live in. Okay. See, so, I live in the sunny part. Of, I live further south in Atlanta. In fact, we're about my level of Miami. We don't have the we don't have the warm weather because we have don't have an ocean with warm currents in it like Miami has, but we're further south than Miami. Actually, we're about the level of Key West, Florida. We're the same wow. uh, latitude. Yeah, so we're, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty good uh, for that. Uh, it's been down to 38, which kills cockroaches, fortunately. Wow, uh, so, <laughs> or drives them underground till springtime, and the scorpions go away, and the snakes hide, and that's good. That means we can go out. Uh, can't go out barefoot. Don't do that anymore. Gotten too old for that. But uh, we, you know, Christmas Day, people walk around here in flip flops and, and Bermuda shorts. I'm going really. Whatever. Yeah, it was pretty nice here in Georgia today. I actually took a nice walk. It was beautiful. All right, we're going to take a yeah. break. We're on the Be Our Network. This is Marsha Thatterson. We're with James Stevenson. And what we're talking about is preparedness, and he's kind of sharing with us his journey that him and his wife taken to be self-sufficient and off, uh, pretty much dependent on themselves that they can take care of themselves. So we'll be right back on the Be Our Network. We're going to take a break. <laughs> Music in the air and lots of love in everywhere So give me the night 
Network. This is Marsha Thatterson with For Your Health. I just want to remind our listening audience that this program, a radio show, all this information presented here is for the purpose of information and education only. It should not be construed as offering any medical or any diagnosis for any treatments or illness or any injury or conditions, uh, prevention of any health problems. The viewers or the listening audience should consult with their doctor or their natural practitioner for information because normally what we talk on this show is about health, nutrition, food, um, various herbs that help that other people have used. So what we do is bring people on here that give us their experience, their knowledge on how they're making life better for them and their family. And we can learn from each other because we are, I truly believe we are each other's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. And a lot of times I don't have to take that path of going down the wrong road. Someone's already done it for me, so I can learn from that. And so that's my reason for having James and thanking him today for being on our show to share with us how him and his wife have taken this journey on being prepared, putting themselves in a position not only for themselves but for their children and their grandchildren because it's not what we say, it's what they see us do. And seeing us being proactive about being prepared, learning how to cook, how to prepare things, that's what we want to do is share that knowledge. James, give us some information for beginners on how to start this journey on preparedness. It is so simple. Rule of three, prime rule of three, store what you eat. Eat what you store. Use it or lose it. That's it. That's all you have to know. And, That's all you and have a lot to practice. Of that, 
Well, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom that has to be gained in that, of course. But the the whole point is that you don't do you don't have to do a lot of different things. You just need to do more of what's good things. Remember, you won't remember, but back during the Second World War, they had a a a song that said, "You got to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative." And don't get caught with Mr. In-Between. One of my rules of three, by the way. <laughs> so it's that, it's that simple. A beginner only needs to know you're going to do more of what you like to do. If you like to eat, then you're going to – what do you like to eat? When do you like to eat it? How long can you store it for, and how much of it do you need? It's pretty simple. We complicate it with all this, uh, with all this rhetoric that comes from the people who have no experience – they just see it on YouTube, or they see it in, uh, you know, they read somebody else's stuff, or hear them talk, or listen listen mm-hmm. to their podcasts, and all of a sudden they're ex- instant experts too. Because I try to make it simple. If you can keep it simple, even stupid people can do it. But you know, you my thing is, but but you got James, this younger generation. They will buy the chips. They will buy the uh, the the stuff that can. Spoil fast and educating people, you know, how to cook the dry beans, how to buy the rice, um, um, the flour to make a meal. You know what I'm saying? And um, soup, the, the packaged soup that all you have to do is add water. You know, um, and then making sure they have medicine that you know, if you have some elderly person or someone that your children or child need medication, make sure you have extra of the medication if that medication is needed. Is mm-hmm. that right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, there are a lot, of, because, a lot of things you can add to it, but first of all, none of that matters if you started it. <laughs> so, there, there, you know, again, so there are four things <laughs> that the conventional wisdom experts indicate that you need for survival. Very simple. You need shelter. And why shelter number one? Why did I mention that first? Well, first of all, if you if you're out in the hot sun, you're going to bake. You're going to die of heat prostration if you can't resolve it. Uh, in cold weather, you're going to freeze to death before you get thirsty. And um, so shelter is really important. Um, you can die in a matter of minutes in Greenland if you aren't properly attired or properly protected from the wind and the cold. So um, just be aware of that. So shelter. Second is water. As I said, if you so if water's freezing as fast as you can pour it out of a bucket, then you gotta have shelter. Water second. And it is the second most abundant resource on the face of the earth, by the way. It's seventy five percent of our human body, so that's why we need a lot of it right. to keep it oiled, greased yeah. or, or or functioning as the case may be. Uh, and so storing water is easy. Every time you go to the grocery store and water's on sale, buy twenty-four pack under three dollars most of the time here at a grocery yeah. store, and and just mm-hmm. stack them up. You you want to make sure you don't stack them too high, too heavy, because they're in, in plastic bottles. But if you'll take a sheet of cardboard and put over the uh, put underneath one uh, a sheet underneath a sheet above, you can cut up boxes and make that. And you just stack them up next mm-hmm. as a buffer to help distribute the weight and also protect the bottles from crushing each other. 
And you okay. can store by unless you have freezing weather, uh you can store bottles anywhere without without a problem. Because heat won't bother. But the plastic doesn't last forever. It has a shelf life. You can put them in your garage. Uh, I always put water on the bottom because uh, one that's heaviest generally uh, in its mass, uh, it is massive. And you don't put it up in your attic. (laughs) I will tell you that. Don't put it in your attic because it could come crashing through or they could burst. And then you've got rain on your ceiling. So, um, so. You know, once you have shelter, finding and storing, preserving water is really the most profitable, the best thing you can do. Water is something you need all the time. And uh, um, I, I laugh. We have a well. We have the best water in the county. And my my wife says every time she leaves here, she has a bottle of water in the car <laughs> in the cup holder i think oh my goodness just fill the bottle up with our well water but uh that doesn't work too well so uh people say well there are a lot of things you have to learn to accommodate and think about and learn from others uh, if you don't learn it from yourself we have pundits they're, they're people who are smarter than they think they are or think they're smarter than they are and they're always giving you their uh, reverent opinion on things we see them on the news all the time, both good and fake news, wherever they are. Um, and and the pundits say, of, of course, uh, you want to uh, always do this or always do that. And you can't always do those things. You have to know the workarounds. You have to be able to deal with improbability. What if you can't what if you're not home when the poop hits the propeller as we say what if you're not right. close to where your stuff is uh, what if you're not near your loved one do you have a plan i mean those are things that have to be done also but um st- having stored water on hand is great but you also have to have a way of storing water you can get uh, up and up to and including if you're really serious is your own body waste that you can turn back into uh, drinkable water uh, hey the air, astronauts do it all the time, <laughs> so why can't you? So wait a minute. Uh, repeat, so it, that repeat that again, James. You, what did you just say? If you if you go in the worst worst case scenario, you have to be able to to, re, to um, turn your body uh, wastewater into drinkable water and recycle it. And, yeah. and that's the you proper that. way to do that. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there, there are tools for doing that. Yeah. Okay, so but that's way out there. I mean, yeah, that's way out there. That would not be first priority for me. I do have equipment <laughs> that'll do that. Oh my goodness! Because I may have to help somebody else. You know, yeah. Oh well, we turn out gray water all the time. Uh, we have a gray water system. We have a black water system. Black water is for poop and pee and the the body stuff. But the shower. And the dishwater and all that, and wash water and all that stuff goes out to the uh, uh, gray water, and it, it it's used in water in the garden. In fact, the detergent really helps uh, um, the soil absorb the uh, uh, the water better, distribute it better. So there's a lot of stuff you learn. <laughs> Is that where you have those compost to- toilets where it's you have a compost no, toilet. You don't have to, waste. No, we don't we don't have a composting toilet. We don't uh, we don't okay. go that okay. far. Okay. We have a septic tank so we don't have to worry about it. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But we can now, turn we can turn 
water waste into drinkable water. And how do we take water waste and turn it into drinkable water? We have equipment. There's equipment for that. Okay, well, I was thinking, now, if, I, how would I, if I'm in my house and the water's contaminated, what's the best way for me to have drinking water if I don't have bottled water? Well, there, there are a number of ways of purifying water. The easiest way is to boil it, but that won't get rid of some things. Um, so you kind of have to know what, what is the, the heavy stuff you can strain out pretty well. You can filter, you, you can strain, you can filter, you can then boil it. You can, uh, yeah, there are a number of ways you can boil it, take the steam off of it, that becomes drinking water. Still doesn't get rid of the poison. But you, there are a lot of things you can do, a lot of ways of doing it, and it's a, it's a process. It's a fairly orderly process, and it goes from uh, easy to very, very difficult. Um, but but it can be done. You can evaporate but it. People can purchase those tablets. I've seen tablets that are supposed to be able to dissolve in and clean your water for drinking, correct? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, was, so they have a limited there. show. Uh, they have a limited – that doesn't filter. Okay. So you want to drink this? Do. You want to drink – you want to you want to see your water or you do not want to see your water? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want things floating in my water I don't have names for. I'm sorry. So activated charcoal is probably one of the best ways. With activated charcoal, sand, and rocks kind of filter your water that way. Yeah, yeah that, you've been reading too many books. That, okay, that will work in a, that'll work where you don't have any really uh, nasty stuff. Um, okay. But there's certain there, – there are entities in the water that are so small that you can't filter them. You have to destroy them. And so they still get in your system, but they're dead. That's, that's the ultimate. Bleach? What about adding a drop of bleach? Bleach, bleach kills some things. It kills some bugs. It doesn't kill them all. Okay. And if you make it strong enough mm-hmm. to kill everything, you can't drink it because it's virtually pure bleach. Yeah. That'll burn. Yeah. That'll burn your yeah. esophagus out, <laughs> and your stomach will go. What? <laughs> so, all right. So after so, water, let me just. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, water, water. You know, water is a problem. Water is not simple. I wrote a whole chapter on water, and, and it's getting more complicated because uh, we've recycled water so many times that water is becoming a, a, a very uh, costly resource. Because your your city water departments are recycling water, and they keep recycling water, and they're killing bugs, but there are more and more bugs coming, people dumping drugs, they're putting all kinds of radiation, all kinds of things are going down the sink anymore. If you have a home and you want to do your gray water, you have to create a gray water system. You usually have to get a permit to do it in the city, in most cities. Uh, they're expensive, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars uh, it depends on how serious you are, and if you want to, uh, I'm gonna. I, I'd rather treat water isn't worth thirty thousand dollars because you can store a lot of water in a shed for thirty thousand um, dollars. That's a wow. lifetime supply for one person, thirty thousand dollars. But um, you know, again, mm-hmm. it's priorities. You have to decide. You look at the. You look at where you are and where you want to be, and you start. Con- 
start figuring, uh, counting the cost and determine which one's more important. You know, a new winter jacket may not be quite as important as a, you know, a three pounds of freeze dried steak. Uh, that's your choice. You have to decide that. Right, 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 right. So, so you watch the sales. You go to the vendors who have the good stuff. You get equipment to do it yourself. But uh, so water is, you know, shelter is ultra critical. Water is critical. You need fire to keep warm. You were asking about that fire. How do you create fire? Well, you, in the house is pretty difficult. You, you don't charcoal in the house. That's the quickest way to death I know of. Because uh, very little heat for the amount. Well, there's a lot of heat at the coal level but very low heat in the house, but a whole lot of carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. Okay. You want to stay with okay. um, But you can, you can buy generators for your car where you can leave your car outside, run the wires through the uh, inside the house and uh, be able to charge your refrigerator overnight or every three hours or something like that. I mean, there, there are many solutions to uh, fire, which is, Gives you warmth and light and clean uh, and hot water to bathe with and uh, you know just makes you feel more secure. Uh, mm-hmm. It also warms the human heart. <laughs> I will say that for it. Yeah. It is nice to have a crackling fire. Uh, fireplaces anymore aren't made. Uh, the new homes have fire fire boxes, but you can't put anything very hot in them because they're they're in wooden. Uh, they put them in a wooden chimney. So if you're going to build a house today or buy a house today, you might want to find one with a real fireplace because that's a that's a that's an opportunity to have fire in a safe in a safe way. But understand, when you burn a fire, you're sucking hot air up the chimney also. But at least the glow and the warmth standing close to or sleeping by it is certainly worth it. <laughs> so, and you know they have fireplaces the, where you can put those blowers in the fireplace that can blow the heat out from the fireplace into yeah, the home too. That's right. Those yeah, a lot of them though are are they're gas they're gas lit or gas driven or electrical, and if you have uh, right outages, then you're back to square one. And now, most, a lot of cities don't allow you to put propane. See, a lot of them won't let you use the alternative propane in a community because an explosion could wipe out okay. half a block. <laughs> right, right. Now, I was. Oh, I know you say I'm, I read a lot, but the masonry fireplaces, those fireplaces called the masonry fireplaces, where these fireplaces are designed to allow the heat that's going up the chimney to filter into the house, into the room. And it's actually supposed to be very, very, very nice. Have you heard of those? Well, sure, but that's that's an installation that uh, what you don't want is any of the smoke or the carbon dioxide going out into the into your home. You're talking about a, a heat exchange system that right. distributes hot air. Yeah. Well, yeah, but most right. of them have a fan. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But it's better to have some heat than no heat. Yeah. Yeah, they're nice. There are a lot of there are a lot of alternatives. Some of them you can't add to an existing home because of the way they have to be installed. <coughs> if you had a choice today, if I had all the money I needed to do whatever I want, I could build a magnificent yeah. mansion that would you know I'd have cool rooms, safe rooms, gun rooms, and all other kinds of rooms. Special <laughs> each one of the spe- you know. And a shucking room, <laughs> whatever you can have all kinds of things, but most of us have limited, you know, have limited budgets, and we're trying to be prudent with the amount of money we do have, 
you know, uh, preparedness is everything, but it's not all the thing. Correct. Okay. So, you know, uh, actually, if you remember, remember, this is philosophic and it's spiritual. Nothing's real until it's been thought of, planned, or predicted by spirituality. Um, So the goal of what you're trying to do, you know, setting what you just said into a goal, you've got to anticipate the future damage that would come from uh, um, an event. You have to be able to mitigate the current damage as the event unfolds. And then you have to be able to rehabilitate the damaged area of both lives and property after it happens. So, you know, you, there are a lot of things you have to balance. It, 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 it's not easy. It is not easy. Nobody said it would be easy to be prepared. It will take a lot of work. But that education, that information becomes knowledge which becomes wisdom, mm-hmm. which becomes intelligence, which becomes, uh, I understand now why I don't worry about uh, air conditioning till I worry about heating. Right. See, right. understanding comes. Right. I, I'm now, sorry, what interrupt what you're saying. <laughs> what about these companies called that's selling these prepackages um, of food that can last 20 years and you get it in big bulk because... That, that is have you tried any, Have you tried that? Have you tried that? No, stuff? I. I it, the well, then, why? It's not I, an I, option until you like, try. <laughs> I have not. It's, it's like when I if, now look. If it came to the situation and the infrastructure was down for uh, maybe weeks, I probably would put something like that in my mouth if I had to. But it's just. Opening okay. stuff up and putting some water to it, I don't know if I can do it. I, am I, probably am I, I glad? Do. Am I glad you said that? <laughs> Studies show that people will not eat food under duress to which they're unaccustomed. <laughs> we are what we are. We're going to be what we are. We want everything to be like we like it, like we already have it. I have people. I've taken people out for dinner and say, "Oh, I don't eat steak. I don't like steak." I think you don't like steak. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I, I don't like seafood. Are you allergic to it? No, I just don't like it. I think really, right. <laughs> you're yeah. missing the best part of life. But anyway, yeah. uh, realize that. Um, you know, how can I say this? The worst part about preparedness is the fact that it is the offspring of despair when you despair you you know you just can't change you're in a negative funk and people lose their lives because they become so despaired so disenchanted with things Um, and because despair is a sudden change to negative Whereas preparedness is being able to continue as if nothing had happened. See, that's what preparedness is all about. Making it possible for you to go on in the face of adversity as if nothing happened. That's class, as we say. Now, food, dehydrated food, you you hit a point. I need to accentuate that. Freeze all foods except the meals, the meals that are prepared then dried afterwards, are just 
peas, beans, corn, potatoes, whatever. And if you don't know how to season them before you buy them or learn how afterwards before you need them, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like yeah. the taste. You're not going to like the flavor. You're not going to like the consistency. And you're not going to like the fact that you got to be pretty creative to use that stuff so that it tastes good. Mm-hmm. So always do a trial of anything. See if you can live with it. See if you like it. And, and literally, the guys who sell the food just sell it as food. Now, you can buy that stuff. Canned corn with water in it will last 10 years. Canned peas and canned beans. Uh, so to buy something that lasts 20 years, my goodness, if you don't use it in 10 years and turn it over, then you're not you're not investing your money wisely, and you're not getting a good ROI, or return on, on your investment. So the dried foods are great if you know how to use them. We keep freeze-dried food cans with caps on them and then bottles with the screw tops on uh, near the kitchen. So I can, we have a very small kitchen. We don't have a pantry. It's an old home. The biggest room is the library room where we have all our books. They're more important to us than food in many cases uh, because in those books is the accumulation is the beginning of our accumulation of knowledge. We bought those books for our pleasure and for our information. But basically, if you don't know how to prepare food normally, if you don't know how to season it uh, and have no experience doing it, you open these cans, you're going to be sadly dismayed. You'll despair. Mm-hmm. I will tell you because <laughs> it's just it's just it's just dried corn, <laughs> dried corn. Whoopee! That's a great. Uh, or yeah. you open up a, a freeze. You can open up freeze-dried steaks, reconstitute them in just a, it takes three minutes, and you can grill it, and you can hardly taste it. You, there's a difference. Consistency is a little different. You know it because you saw it come out of the can, but if you didn't see it come out of the can, you wouldn't know. I've had pork chops that are 25, 35 years old come out of my freeze-dried can, open them up, <clears throat> and grill them, uh, you know, reconstitute them and grill them in my pan, in my um, cast iron pan, you can't tell the difference. Can't tell the difference. But I have to wow. season it because they're just, they're just pork chops, you know. They they they're, they're just freeze they're pork chops that were um, raw, uncooked, freeze dried. Put the can, open them up. Thirty five years later, they're just pork chops. You rehydrate them. Right. You you cook them in, in, with a little butter or something because the, the grease is gone. They cut the they cut the fat off so because you can't dehydrate fat, it just get rancid. So they cut it off, and and so you can cook, but you have to flavor it. Uh, otherwise, it's it's just meat. It's just it looks like meat, but it doesn't taste like meat because it doesn't have the flavor. Do you de- so you have to learn how to do season things. Do you dehydrate your own? Do you dehydrate your own? I, I have a I, I have a dehydrator. I can de I dehydrate mm-hmm. a lot of things. Grapes. Raisins, to grapes to raisins. That's easy. I like that. Fruits are easy because they have a high level yes, of acid easy. or sugar that makes them really easy. Uh, other things I freeze dry. You can, okay. I freeze dry. I cook everything so like I like it. It tastes good. I eat a meal of it and I take the excess and I freeze dry it. And so when I rehydrate mm-hmm. it, it's just it's just like I sat back down to where I stopped when I uh, when I finished my meal. Yeah, right. but it's expensive. It's a four thousand forty six hundred dollar machine. Yes. But you see, for me, it'd be foolish if I didn't do it. How could I tell you how to do it if I didn't do it? And there's so many people in this industry who are too cheap to make the investment. They're just selling books or they're just selling their website or they're 
selling Amazon stuff or piece of the action, whatever. They're not really preppers. They're preppers. They're not prepared. I, I love getting on. I love getting on. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, um, discussion shows or panels when people start to and I just I just I just have to lower my head so as not to ruin their their opinion <laughs> because they just it, it's uh they they're they're not only Johnny come lately they're Johnny come without being prepared and they'll say well yeah I hear well not what you, let me tell you what I do and uh so I do dehydrate I've been had a dehydrate I in my first book I showed people how to make what about the size of a Volkswagen in those days because the parts and pieces were they 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 didn't it wasn't an art it wasn't a science even in those days except at a commercial level which had nothing to do with what you could do at home so I put the plans in my book originally um freeze drying has just come on the last 4 year 4 or 5 years uh, right. as a home right. appliance you can buy and I love mine. I've done tons, literally tons of food. I don't do it. You can't do it in the winter here. I'm sorry. It is expensive. Yeah, it's about five thousand bucks by the time you get started. Right. But my goodness, um, the quality of food is fantastic. I can freeze dry tomatoes, onions, anything, and it's just. Mm-hmm. I, I put water back in it. The water I took out, I put back in it. It's just like it was, except yeah. for celery. And lettuce, cabbage is okay because it has. A, but lettuce, you cannot reconstitute lettuce or celery. No. Two of my do favorite ferment, foods. <laughs> do you do you ferment any foods? Do you can and ferment any of your fruits and vegetables? I don't. Uh, I store? don't can. I don't can. Um, my mom did canning. Um, in fact, I always tell people one of the things that from my early life, when I was four or five years old, my mother sent me down into the basement through the trap door. With yep. a flashlight, and tell me to bring back. Uh, that was the worst days of my life. I'm still afraid <laughs> of the dark. <laughs> Go down and give me some green beans. Well, you know, in those days when they canned them, they weren't green anymore. <laughs> no. They lost no. their color. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, green beans, wax beans, they all looked alike to me. So you know. Uh, go down and get some no. squash. Well, first of all, I didn't like squash. <laughs> that was not well, a happy day squash. for me to go get squash. Oh, I do well, too. I now, yeah. Oh, you can freeze dry squash like nobody's business, and you can heap it up on the tray, and it just does a beautiful job. And I, I make, I do zucchini and calabasas and uh, uh, yellow squash, Kirkneck squash, and all together, and put that into a casserole with some sliced onion. You talk about good. Yeah. That's good. And a little panko on top. I, I don't like breadcrumbs because we don't do a lot of bread here. I don't break, break, break bake bread anymore. It's too much work. Makes a mess, and I have to clean it up. And uh, oh lord! Uh, uh, so but we don't eat know, a lot of bread at all anymore. Uh, to encourage people about taking that step on preparing the food and p- putting it up. I went. I did a workshop here in Atlanta at uh, the West End Library. And I went right to the dollar store to show people how convenient it can be. And I had a, uh, we had a vacuum seal and we had some Maylar bags. And just went over there and I bought some pancake mix and I wrote the recipe on them. Uh, we vacuum seal it with some oxygen absorbing pack, pancake mix, you know, put the recipe on it, seal it up. We did it with rice. We did some, some dry fruits and vegetables, I mean, some dry um, vegetables, I mean, fruit. 
like uh, pineapples, uh, uh, bananas, you know, freeze-dry stuff. And then we did um, beef jerky and some dry beans, some dry rice, uh, some dry soup mix, and showing people that's one way of having something to store away. And in purchasing, you know, when you go to the dollar store or something like that, based on your income, the Band-Aids, the uh, rubbing alcohol or the hydrogen peroxide, um, the band, you know, the cotton balls, just purchasing a little something and putting it away, um, keeping up with your children uh, shots or their records or medical records of anyone that you need to have. And what's great now, I think, is our cell phones because pictures of a lot of these papers and stuff, and we don't have to carry physical papers and email it to ourselves. So it's, that is kind of like in the cloud kind of thing for us to um, have this information and have that where we're not physically carrying the papers and things like that again. What do you think about that? Well, um, there's a dollar store close by. I buy popcorn and bread's a dollar. It's a heck of a deal. If I need mm-hmm. if I need a loaf of bread or I need some hot dog rolls or hamburger rolls for a dollar, it's a whole lot cheaper than going to the store where they come from a fresh bakery, and they are you know by the mm-hmm. time I steam them, you can't tell the difference on how old they are anyway. Um, so yeah, anytime you can put together the thing again, what was the rule? Store what you eat. Correct. Eat what right. you store. Use it or lose it. Now, you're telling me that you like to do it that way and you're used to eating that way? For heaven's sakes, keep on doing it. In fact, remember, you're going to do more of what you've always done. That's what preparedness is all about, having more than you need at the moment, being prepared for the mm-hmm. uncertain future. And, and if you, and, and, uh, there are some bargains at the uh, dollar store where they take a shorter margin. Um, and I love, in fact, that and the pizza play. By the way, I can freeze-dry pizza. I can reconstitute it by steaming it, and it's just good. It's actually, and then I put a little uh, (laughs) coconut oil in the bottom of a pan, just grease the pan, a Teflon pan or one of these new diamond, whatever you call it, Uh, and and I can cook that. It's better. Oh, you want a delightful breakfast? Then crack an egg, turn it over easy, put it on top of the pizza you talk about. It's like having bacon, and, and, uh, you know, you get one of the five meat pizzas for, for $9. I mean, you can't beat that. Oh, yeah. I mean, see, I've learned, uh, but I, I'm all the time experimenting. I'm always trying new things so that I don't become, you know, all, all these pablum. I, I have a very, very, I eat virtually anything except, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not wild about cauliflower either. <laughs> Broccoli I love, but uh, that and turnips. I, don't, I do greens. I don't do the turnips had a really bad experience with turnips. I don't do those anymore. <laughs> but uh, I love the greens. And, and we have a very varied diet. We we're, uh, we try a lot of different things. My wife, fortunately, I uh, she agreed to marry me when, uh, after five, I think 851 times I asked her to marry me. She finally said, yeah, wow. after I committed to cooking for her for the rest of her life. So... Uh, that 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 was the ticket, and I've done that for the years, all the years we've been married, except for a few times. 
when I wasn't here, she did. But she loves leftovers. I don't. I was one of seven children. We didn't have leftovers. <laughs> so, wow. Not in the days of ice boxes. We didn't have leftovers. So I don't. I don't know what leftovers taste like. Uh, uh, so anyway, she she was an only child. They had a lot of leftovers. <laughs> so I don't. Uh, I don't like leftovers. I, I don't like look at the refrigerator and see something in a bowl. And I think. Ooh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I, I will eat fried chicken cold. I love pizza cold for breakfast. I love it heated better, especially with a with an egg over easy on top of it. It's fantastic because you get all those fl- meat flavors and all that rich tomato flavor and all that seasoning, and it's 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 better than bacon. Even now, though, do you have chickens? Really... And, uh, do you have chickens? Do you have chickens on your no, farm? No, we or? had chickens, and we were on the road so much. The animals they were eaten. I mean, we couldn't keep them. We, we had for years. We had chickens, but we constantly fed the snakes. And we finally figured out by putting plastic eggs in the nest, we could get the snakes so they couldn't get out of the, the chicken coop. And then the the chickens would wake up and eat. You know, peck them to death. But uh, or I'd get them with a shotgun, whichever. Uh, but basically. Uh, we we don't have animals anymore. We have enough room. We have zoning for it, but I do have hydroponics and aquaponics and a regular garden in in pots. Our soil oh, okay. is very acid. It's very muddy. It's either uh, I live in Texas, South Texas. That sounds like something Spanish, right? Like Mexico. Well, the ground is virtually when it's wet, it's muck. When it's dry, it's called adobe. And adobe. so we have a hard yeah, adobe. Yeah, it's bricks. <laughs> so it's, it's it, the earth will uh, in a in a hot summer the earth will crack inch wide and you see down for feet. You know, and go, oh, it's really hard to keep it uh, wet and to grow f- food. And the cactus will grow in it beautifully, but uh, and mesquite, but nothing nothing you can eat really. I don't eat cactus and I don't eat mesquite, so <laughs> don't smoke it either. Okay. So anyway, it's a whole different it's a whole different world. Uh, we have to remember you have to bloom where you're planted. You have to do with what you got. You have to uh, accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. There are a lot of things that we can throw in there, but basically you just store what you eat, you eat what you store, and you use it, or you will certainly lose it. And what about communication? Shortwave radios or um, um, do you have all those are wonderful things. They're they're great to discuss, and uh, neophytes love to talk about all the ephemeral stuff. I need a four band radio. I need I need a getaway. That you know the husband says, honey, we're going to get prepared. She says, oh great, you're going to take care of the family. He says, yeah. He says, I'm going to buy me a Ford 450 with dualies and leather upholstery and four wheel drive and all. He says, honey. You can't eat that. <laughs> right. So, you know, you can you can look at you can be whatever you want to be. What is critically important? What is the first priority? How many how many dollars do you have to invest in it? How much are you willing to give up in order to do without today so you can have tomorrow? All those things have to be considered. It ain't easy being prepared. <laughs> Where everybody be prepared. Right. Yeah. So if you measure your vulnerability to all the disasters in your area uh, that could affect your life, then then you would be able to determine what's important. If the lights never go out, or if you have a backup, if you already have a backup generator, or some means of having uh, the basics, uh, electrical basics, in, in case of a disaster, mark that one off. Go on to the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. This. 
you hear the old thing, one one is none and two is one. Well, that's wonderful if you're selling somebody something. But if you're buying, that's fairly, you know, I may want two pots or pans, uh, but I'd rather have two two boxes of food than two pans. Right. So you have to make priorities based on your income, based on your outgo, based on your availability, based on your desire to be prepared, to be truly spiritual, uh, is to follow advice and to be obedient to all those who followed Christ. And they've always told us, we know not when the end is, but it will surely come. Well, if it comes, if it's the end, it doesn't matter how much you have stored. But if it comes slow, if it comes all at once, like a clap of thunder, that's one thing. If it comes slowly because the nation dies because it's interior fighting, or we're attacked by a foreign entity, or blah blah, or whatever, riots of some kind or another, then that's a different issue. So, what is the most likely uh, emergency? disaster situation to which you would be um, what's uh, vulnerable to? Probably the personal one. Well, personal is, well, the older you get, the more that becomes uh, its head rises higher. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> if yeah. you, if yeah. you live in, you, yeah, if you live along this, the, if you live in Miami, obviously every year they have six months of, of hurricane weather. I lived in Key West. Mm-hmm. I would not like to live in Key West during uh, um, either a tsunami or even a heavy rainstorm. <laughs> I've seen water on that street three <laughs> inches deep. Uh, or I wouldn't want to be there during, uh, um, what do you call it, um, a hurricane. That would be that'd be scary because you can see yeah. all the way across the island. There are no hills. In that. <laughs> you can see from one end to the other looking down the street, and there are no hills. Uh, but, you know, in New Orleans, how on earth did anybody come up with the idea of building a city below the level of the ocean? Hello. <laughs> who, hello. who came up yeah. with that idea? Yeah, hello. Or but, uh, below the yeah. level of Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah, what, what was wrong yeah. with that picture? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. life is, you know, uh, or in Wisconsin, who ever thought of moving there for summer? <laughs> <laughs> I guess in summer the mosquitoes are worse than the winter. I'm not sure. At least not on the island. They don't. They don't get that hot in the summer. Trust me. But they don't get warm enough. Look, I've been here in July and it's cold, so I know. But one okay. thing I wanted to encourage our listening audience, like you said, to take it seriously and to take a look at where they are at and economically to uh, see what they can afford to do. And as you said, purchase what you're going to eat and store the what you're going to eat because otherwise we're wasting money. And if you don't have that money to be wasting, you know, to purchase these um, or um, package food that can last 20 and 15 years, you know, I don't think no one wants to eat that unless, you know, we're in a real dire situation. But, you know, James, a friend of mine a couple of years ago, Invite told me to come to a, um, a church here in Fayetteville was having a natural disaster training program, and I called the church to see if I can participate because I'm always like to share information and give people information because I don't know everything. So I just want to bring people together that have this source of information so I can share and making sure I'm giving you the correct information to making sure your family is taken care of. But the church told me when I called to see if I can participate, she said, Marsha, it's a three-day training. You can only attend one day. 
And I said, why is that? She said, we are a closed pod. Have you ever heard of a closed pod? And I'm like, hmm. A, a closed what? Closed a closed pod? what? Pod. P-O-D. Pod, yes. No, closed pod. Yes. Uh, and I said, what is a closed pod? Have you heard of that before? No, not not in those terms. Well, let me tell you what I've learned, and and this was over about six years ago, I think. I, I called them, and she said, um, I can only attend one day because they're a closed pod. What a closed pod is, each city has a health department that sets up a pod. And the, 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 the initial for pod is point of dispensing. That's medicine and food. People, oh. you have churches, you have churches, um, private clubs, group, large groups that have trained with CDC, FEMA, and Red Cross for mm-hmm. dispensing of medicine. So if someone did put out Amtrak into our community in a large number, they can put the antidotes or what's medication and dispense it to these large groups that has registered with them mm-hmm. to be a closed mm-hmm. pod. And what I told the lady, I said, well, help me with this picture. If I live down the street from you and I see everybody coming to you and we got this chaos going on within the community, she said, we wouldn't, you can't come in. But what we would do is direct you to an open pod where this health department would have an open pod set up throughout the city. So what I've learned over the years, there's a lot of organizations and clubs clubs that have set up as a closed pod. And these people aren't telling you may be working with someone on your job that's sitting next right next to you in a pod, I mean a, a cubicle and they're once something happens just they know where they're going to their destination. And you're kind of frantically trying to figure out where to go, what to do and get the information from the community of where to be. And that's why I want to be able to educate our community on, first of all, let's wake up and learn how to be prepared for whatever may, like you say, the three the three disasters you said was natural, uh, natural, uh, personal, and... National, uh, no, uh, natural disasters, man-caused man-made, disasters. Man-made, yeah. And yeah. personal ones. And personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're right. only three kinds. There are everything falls into one of those classifications. I just looked yeah. up uh, POD, closed POD. Mm-hmm. That it's uh, apparently North Carolina, uh, Georgia, and Florida are doing that. It sounds it, and it's under CDC uh, yes. sponsorship. It's a bunch of hooey, in my opinion. But it's it's <laughs> somebody came up with this. Well, it's very bureaucratic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't so it's interesting. Actually, I could not. I would not. I said, you know what? Mm, no, I'm not signing up for that. But I wanted people to know it exists. I don't know how it's going to expand or if it's expanding. But I had no clue that this was going on in my community, and I live here. You know, so it's not like they're advertising for churches or organizations to sign up to be a part of this. Pod. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's, uh, it's uh, it has to almost be a church because it requires rooms for uh, planning and rooms rooms for uh, breaks, rooms for command center, yep. 
secured storage right. room for exactly. antibiotics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I'm... Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. they have to have a calling tree. It gets, yeah, I don't know. To me, it sounds bogus, but it's a fairly new thing. But it, gives, it gave somebody something to do. So that's it. <laughs> By the way, uh, we can. I know it's, it's getting close to time to go. Just let me tell people that if they're interested in the book, uh, they can go to Amazon.com. Uh, I'm no longer selling online. We sold it in 46 countries in the world, sold uh, over 800,000 copies. Downloads were tremendous, and the uh, uh, the CD-ROM sold like hotcakes. But we're out of business now. The book is still available at Amazon.com if they want to go there. Making the Best of Basics, and I'm Dr. Prepper. If you type in Dr. Prepper, you'll probably find it. On, you'll find me on the Internet. I've been doing this now since 1972. And uh, love it. I do it because I love it. You can tell that I'm having fun with it because uh, we're Americans. We're hanging together. We're trying to set the yeah. example for others, and I try to do the same. Uh, you know, I, I try to hang in there through some pretty tough times. But you just organize your family and build a library. Get yourself a small library. Uh, you can get it. You can print it out from the uh, internet. You don't have to go buy a bunch of books. You can go to the library and check them out, for that matter. But if you just uh, – there's a continuum of preparedness, and one is just being aware of where you live, and then so you can bloom where you're planted, determine what uh, kind of vulnerabilities you have in terms of weather and fire and, and civil unrest, all those kinds of things. Just, just look at the vulnerabilities to which you are um, – which you're susceptible, and then – uh, determine what's most important to you. We mentioned fire, uh, shelter, and uh, water, and fire, and then, of course, the last one being food. Those four things are primordial. Everything else is kind of not essential for survival. Yeah, going to the bathroom is, but you can work that out in your shelter. That's what a shelter is for. Um, don't, don't complicate it. Don't make it too wide, too broad, or too deep. Uh, do the things, do what you're doing, just do it better. Um, you know, you only need so many band-aids before you need surgery, and surgery, unless you're qualified to do that, don't worry about it at this moment. Uh, you want to stay alive, you want to stay warm, you want to stay hydrated. Those are basic things that you need to work on, and then you can start sharing with your community how they can improve. Never tell anybody how much you have. You only do that with trusted people because uh, when there's a shortage, you may be the biggest supply they know of. You don't want to be that. <clears throat> so the changes that come in life based on your increasing education, um, your uh, courtship and marriage, those, are, those will make changes in your life. Children will come along. The family decides who you are ultimately. There's always debility, disability, disease, I think the last one, divorce, the big Ds, and, of course, death. We have to cope with every one of those uh, except death. Everybody else copes with it after you're gone. I've always laughed about insurance. I was at a tremendous insurance agency. We always told people that it was a death benefit. One guy looked at me and says, what, what, the only death to benefit is I don't owe anybody anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, it's one of those things we have to deal with. We have to cope with every change in our life. Uh, preparedness is a way of being able to deal with the short-term version of it, which is eating, drinking, sleeping, so to speak. Uh, everything else will come with time. I hope I've answered a lot of questions for people, maybe opened a lot of doors for them to investigate. 
maybe a window or two for them to look out of and see things differently. Um, life is not hard. Uh, it is by the yard, but by the inch, it's a cinch. So just learn how to deal with all those kinds of things. And I think I think you'll find I think you'll find that preparedness is a great issue. It's a life issue. The better prepared you are, the easier it is to deal with the uncertain future. And the future, by definition, is something over which we have no control, and certainly is an issue for every one of us. Oh, James, I truly, truly appreciate you coming on and sharing this information with us. And I'm encourage people to get the book. And download what you can and get the book. You said it's very reasonable on Amazon. But hopefully we can do this again and just kind of remind people. Because, you know, we have to keep the, just like you keep the scriptures before you, it tells us to train our child, teach them as we go, as they walk along the road, as they lay down when they get up. We're going to have to constantly remind us. Cause we, we get distracted with work, bills, other things. And we want to remind people that, you know, we can do this, and we can do this together, and we can learn together. And that's why I'm so glad you took in the time out of your busy day or your relaxed day on Sunday to be with <laughs> us. And I'm grateful that you did that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. So just remind my listening audience, you're on the D-Hour Network, and my name is Marsha Patterson, and this is for your help. And this information is powerful, and it's great and I want you to please take time to check out his uh, book. And that is the base, um, making of the best of the basic, the real simple things in simple life so we can all survive and just take care of each other. All right, we'll be back, and you're on the D-Hour Network. 